The end of the year is fast approaching, and this year the Coot Street Podcast is doing something a little different. We're inviting 24 creators of some of this year's best and most interesting books to join us for 10 minutes or so to talk about what they're reading now, their favorite holiday reads, what they had out this year, and what they've got coming out in the year ahead. It's a Coot Street advent calendar, if that's your thing, or just a run-up to the holidays for book lovers. Today, I'm joined by the wonderful Tamsin Moore. Hello, Tamsin. Kiara, Jonathan, how you doing? I am fairly well. Still in the Antipodes, unlike you, you've sort of flung to some distant corner of the globe. Yeah, I mean, flung is the word for it. I think the pandemic flung us all. Um, You know, it is my dream to return to the Antipodes, especially as winter closes in on Britain. I think I tend to think (laughs) of the Antipodes more and more. You feel like you're caught in the wrong end of a George Martin book or or something. Oh, you know, the wrong end of the George Martin book absolutely feels appropriate to Britain at this time of year. You can see the inspiration there. Winter is coming. This isn't going to be fun. So well, to November me, to me is just not a winter month. You know, December I should be on the beach. So you're so you sort of you're okay if it's like July, August, that's okay, but this is not July, okay. July August can be wet and damp and grim, but you know, I don't think any July, August winter in New Zealand was gonna prepare me for winter in Britain. Well, the other thing is that other than the last couple of years, that you don't get compensated for with a real summer, do you? You just get this sort of like no. mild, balmy thing. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, it's interesting that the summer has started to heat up, uh, you know, quite a bit in Britain, but nobody is prepared for it and all of the houses are wildly double glazed and nobody's got fly screens. I miss a fly screen. (laughs) Well, I guess they haven't had any need, have they? Not really. I I don't think they have. But, you know, also they're not adapting. So, you know, fly screens, that would be great. And not doing anything, you know, past the hours of about like 11 a.m., that'd be awesome. I mean, I, I imagine massive un- infrastructural change is something that takes a while, and you've got to sort of understand that you have to do it before you get around to actually doing it. That's um, true. So, how have you been? How are you coping with sort of the time we're in? I mean, it's you, you know you mentioned sort of being in the UK and it's COVID in the last like three years, which feels like this this strange time where everything happens in in, in sort of like like it's, it's like a bullet going through through ballistics gel, kind of like and and nothing stands out. I love the bullet going through ballistics gel uh, idea, you know, because I think it absolutely feels like that because a lot of people have said, you know, the pandemic years don't count. You know, we've sort of both dilated that time and compressed it in the weirdest way. But, you know, time marches on even when you don't want it to. And I'm finding that for anyone who's moved, you know, uh, across the hemisphere, you just start getting really behind on how your family's doing. You know, I'll still refer to, you know, all my nieces and nephews. And I'm like, oh, you know, that's cute. They're about 10. They're 18. You know, (laughs) Uh, one of them's just turned 30, which just makes me feel so ancient that, you know, I'm about to blow away in a puff of dust. But time (laughs) has moved. You know, I feel like I haven't moved with it. And that's always depressing. (laughs) <laughs> well, I mean, that is well. For, that, that's just the the fact of being on the other side of the world. Never mind, you know, the weird times and everything else. But I mean, when, when I talk about time like that, it's also time that's been, you know, really the explosion of your career as well has happened at pretty much exactly the same time, hasn't it? Explosion's a good word again. Um, yeah, it, it's it's been a really weird time. I think that ex- mm-hmm. explosion is a word for it. <laughs> well, because, I mean, if we go back just, what is it, um, to 2019 when Gideon came out, I mean, it was only just coming in the world by the time, it wouldn't be that long after the, lock, the, the, the COVID really kicks off. And so it must have, has, does that, do you feel like that made it, I guess you haven't been through anything else, but does it make it feel surreal and strange or is it just what it is? 
Surreal, definitely. You know, I think there was a really interesting experience. Gideon basically came out before everything shut down. You know, we had to delay Harrow, the next book in the, I was about to say trilogy. It's not a trilogy anymore. Um, (laughs) And, you know, I, I actually got the nice experience of being a debut author, going out to New York, having that fun, um, and I'm really grateful for it and really sorry for all of the debut authors who debuted over the pandemic. And I think the surreal part of it has simply been that every time I go to the US, it's amazing, it's incredible. Um, You know, in the UK, I still have the benefit of not really being that known. You know, it's often quite hard for me to find my own books in bookstores, and that's weirdly Mm. nice. Yeah. I like being a nobody. (laughs) Well, a little. It's like I would. Admit, it must be nice, though, also having the option to go somewhere to to, to not have that be the case as well. It's, it's it's like a choice rather than something that's inflicted on you. Yeah, and I mean, the truth is that you know I have not responded that well to fame. I don't like it. Um, you know, it sort of makes me pull my head in. I think it might just be Kiwi tall poppy syndrome, but I'm just like, ah, oh, you know. Sometimes I wish I'd published under a pseudonym. A couple of my <laughs> friends did that. That was smart. <laughs> oh, look, I'm, sh- I'm sure there are upsides. Given that you've had, you know, Harrow come out, you've had Princess Florilinda and the 40 Flight Tower come out, and whatever else, it's obviously been a, a busy time. How have you been able to sort of like function and work and all that sort of thing during this time? It's been a different kettle of fish. You know, I came out of a career as a full time teacher. And, you know, when Gideon came out, I actually wasn't going to transition into being a full-time writer. I think very few people transition, you know, right as their debut comes out, unless they're extremely confident. I wasn't. Yeah. So I actually tried to transition into game writing. And I think that that was good because that was a kind of little bit of an interim to working from home. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's was very much more scheduled than just being a writer from home because you're checking in with people, you've got a company, you know, you've got the American meeting system because Americans love meetings. Just saying all Americans listening to this, you do love meetings. (laughs) Could have been an email. And, you know, as with most gaming companies, it shut down in a fireball. So that taught me a thing or two. And then at that point, it was actually not that hard moving into working from home, keeping to a schedule, um, and that has saved my life, just being used to a schedule. Yeah. So I got a pretty good introduction into writing and working from home, and that hasn't felt weird, but it has been pretty lonely. Yeah, well, that I can believe. I mean, I think there's been a lot of social isolation for everybody, particularly for very young people. It's been a huge thing, but I think for anybody who's doing something, I just can't even imagine. I think that, you know, as we see kids coming out of the pandemic, Again, I feel really lucky that I'm actually not in the education business at the moment yeah. because just watching from the sidelines, it is heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah, it is. So let me ask you this. You've been working, whatever else. Have you been reading? Have, what have you been reading lately? Is there anything you, that you've enjoyed that you recommend or is it all terrible? You know what? Um, you're going to laugh at me. I have been reading a seminal text that if you haven't read it, you pretend to have read it. I've been reading Dune. <laughs> <laughs> Was this because of the film or was there some other reason? Well, you know, I wanted to uh, watch the film, but I was like, you know, I I think I shouldn't actually watch the film until I've actually read some Herbert, you know, off my own back because I I missed out on Dune. You know, I was a big fantasy head as a kid. You know, I had my nose stuck in 
Eddings. Um, I didn't actually read any of, you know, Herbert's work at all. And once mm-hmm. you avoid something, you know, you keep thinking, I'll crack him open one day, you know, I'll get to it. And I finally got to it. And it's been so weird seeing this thing that has its uh, has, has its DNA in every single other book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, for anyone who has been avoiding Dune, just, you know, open it because, you know, for one thing, it's written in such a different way. You know, Herbert cracks on the pacing decision he makes. You know, I'd be, yeah. I would absolutely kill to know if Georgia R. Martin was a Dune fan. I don't think I've ever yeah. read any interviews where he's talked about it as an inspiration. But, sure. you know, it has gotten into science fiction. It's gotten into fantasy. It's gotten into everything. Do you say that because of its interests or because of the approach that uh, Herbert takes to writing the book? I think it's the approach that Herbert takes to writing the book, although at the same time I say that. You know, one thing that really interests me about Herbert as a text, you know, compared to a lot of modern SFF, is that he skates over plot points that, you know, a lot of modern SFF would take chapters and chapters to expand on. You know, he just gives you info, walks past it, and then you're like, you know, actually, that was really important. That was huge. <laughs> and I don't say that as, as negative either. The need to, it's an incredible choice. Yeah. But obviously, you didn't feel the need to step through that. I mean, because what I remember, I mean, I read June many years ago. And when I read it, it felt like it was a, the, you know, the longest book I'd ever seen in my life, right? <laughs> and in in 2022, it's this book that's like this middling length, not particularly long book at all. But there's there's so much there, so much sort of richness in it, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it's, you know, a textbook, uh, you know, example of, boy, that escalated quickly. Um, you know, the pacing is just, wow. It just, again, it cracks on in a way that yeah. I'm really impressed by. And I mean, it's bonkers. It's psychedelic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it's oh, yeah, incredible. absolutely. It's, it's a book from the 60s. Yep. And oh, I, it makes me want to go back and reread more of, you know, the 60s texts, um, simply because I think that we kind of miss that in our more pedestrian SFF of today. Take more drugs, certainly- everyone. There's, uh, there's certainly not much like it being written at the moment. Uh, I mean, are you still reading June at the moment, or are you in that world, or is that, or is that, is that done now? Because I have to say, caution with the later books is ah, caution with the later books is advised. Yeah, I, I know that you know. There's a couple of uh, conversations to be had about the later books. You know, I know that um, Herbert was joined by was it Kevin J. Anderson? Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. You know a. Yeah. a a fine writer who I'm afraid I started reading the Star Wars tie novels of. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I will be interested to go on to the later books, but I, I will go in them with op- into them with open eyes. Yeah, I mean, the st- story I always heard was that uh, the second book, June Messiah, which is the shortest of them all, was actually excerpted text from the first book. It would, you know, there was right. a sort of, Yeah. So it's quite, quite closely related. Then you've got Children of June, which is okay. And then God Emperor of June, which came out in like 1980 and is... Absolutely bonkers. <laughs> bonkers in a good it is, way. It is genuinely bonkers. <laughs> you yes. know, I, I, I like genuinely bonkers. I like a book that is not afraid to be genuinely bonkers. Yeah. Oh, look, I mean, I don't know whether June ever became a chore for Herbert as he went on because it seemed like he was writing it for most of his life in the end. But um, at that point, yeah, it was something. 
Oh, yeah, that's, anyway. that's something, I think that's the writer's prayer. Save me from writing a book series that becomes your whole life. Well, I mean, well that, that, that may segue us neatly into our next question. Um, not that I think you're going to be writing this your, your whole life, but tell me, you've been reading, you read June, you're just finishing it up. Um, have you had anything out this year, this year that, that you might want to talk about? Have you had a book out? Oh, gosh, have I had anything out this year? Um, <laughs> I have had... Nona the Ninth out this year, the bonkers, unexpected third entry into what I had hoped to be the Locked Tomb trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can still see that word on a couple of copies of Gideon, yeah. and it shames me whenever I see it. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess this is the, one of those things where that there's a moment where in the creative endeavor kind of it, it all moves onto your hand, right? You've got your clear plan. You know what you're doing. Maybe you haven't written a trilogy before, but you think what you're going to, you know, you know what you're going to be doing. And then something else happens. Something else happens. And you have to not look at it as, wow, this was my failure of discipline. Because, I mean, I guess it was my failure of discipline, but I think it's also the fact that I have never written a trilogy before. Mm-hmm. I was completely convinced that I could just expand out the last book into an absolute cat killer, you know? Um, <laughs> I could just do a Brandon Sanderson. I could just write, uh, you know, a, a Winds of Winter. I could write something where if you dropped sure. it on your foot, you'd break the foot. And <laughs> that, that wasn't the fate of the Lock Tomb trilogy, uh, quadrilogy now, and I'm glad of it. When did you know that the book that became Nona wasn't going to be a bug crusher, it was going to be something else? You know, that was a conversation that had to happen after my editor, Carling Gallaird, who was a very understanding, kind and gracious man, was like, you know, how how is Electo going? And I said, oh, you know, I'm still in Act One. And, you know, I could hear him gulp. And <laughs> he said, okay, how, how much of it have you got? No, oh, Act One's getting on a bit you know because there's going to be four acts in this book and act one's already like 120k and you know Carl had to go and have a lie down and we discussed (laughs) what yeah I mean uh, uh, I think you just have to laugh or cry and thankfully he laughed but it was a case where we discussed what it would look like if that was act one and you know if the other acts were going to match that then this book you can publish a book of that size but You know, the thing about book readers is that they don't like their books to look that different on the shelves. It makes them mad. There is that. There is that. And I mean, also, it's a little eccentric of the readers, but it's true. I know. Um, you know, they, you think they just care about our grand vision, not about, you know, their bookshelves. <laughs> I mean, I understand it perfectly. Of course. But, you sit there going, you can't get the spines to line up. Ah. Yeah. This is annoying. I need my spines to line up. And I mean, they wouldn't be readers without that kind of a little peccadillo. Yes. Or, or suddenly what? Tommy Arnold doesn't do the cover on the next book or something. Oh, man, I, I, could, I could not survive without Tommy Arnold <laughs> not doing my covers. It'd be like Moira Quirk not reading my work. I just don't think I'd live through it. And I plumped for the longest time. No, you know, this Nona needs to be the first act of this book. It's really important. And in the end, it just wasn't actually that important, you know. Yeah. It was its own book. It was its own story, beginning to end. Um, you know, it's a locked tomb book, so it's kind of nuts. But yeah. you know, it was its own thing. Um, it wasn't just cliffhanger to the next one. Sure. Um, and that was important for me. Do you, obviously, well, I assume not. Obviously, I assume you're you know you've been working on the fourth locked tomb book uh, in time. Uh, do you feel like it's going to be a quartet? 
still? Oh, thank God, yes. No, absolutely. Don't, uh, don't frighten me, Jonathan. It's not going to go out and be five books. It can't be and won't be. Um, you know, I can't really give you an idea of exactly how long it is because it hasn't gone through the editing process or anything. Sure, sure, sure. Um, and thankfully, unlike Nona, it's sticking more or less to plan. Mm-hmm. That's good. But, you know, I... I love, I have loved writing the Lock Tomb series. Um, you know, there's still stuff to do afterwards in terms of, you know, collecting all the short stories from the universe, yeah. et cetera. But sure, I'll sure. be so grateful to leave it. Yeah. Well, I, I can imagine. Well, I, mean, I guess this, this is segueing into you know, the next question, which is what do you have coming out next year? It sounds like there's a complete manuscript of a new book, and I'm going to guess it's tentatively scheduled for later next year or something. Well, I mean, the schedules have again all been mucked up. I think that from the pandemic, you know, we are still playing catch up in a big way. Um, You know, my health hasn't been the greatest this year after COVID and then, you know, medium COVID. I I won't, I don't want to say I've got long COVID yet. I'm going to call it medium COVID. You're still hopeful. Uh, Yeah. So, I mean, uh, it's a case where I've had a weird amount of projects on the go, and I've been lucky enough to amuse myself in the interim. You know, uh, as well as Nona coming out, I was lucky enough to get into the Amazon original Into Shadow collection. Sure. Um, yep. With, oh, I think it's a novelette. Novelette's like 19K, isn't it? No, that's a novella. Bugger. Anything over 17,500 words is considered a novella. <sighs> You know, I can't even remember the, the word count for this one. I think it topped out at about uh, 16, 17. Um, but I had my, is it a novella, novelette? I can't even remember. Undercover, yeah. and that was a lot of fun um, because the thing I do to keep my brain active is just try to write in other genres. And yeah. I did just want to do a Dashiell Hammett for once, um, yeah. you know, go back to pulp. And so yeah. I did, and that, that was a heck of a lot of fun. Um you know, dystopia sci-fi, but just very much in that faux noir style. Just giving yep. my brain a rest. And those have, you know, I, I've done a couple of other like tie-in short stories. I worked with um, Blizzard uh, doing a short story for the Diablo universe, and that was fun. Oh, cool. You know, just sort of these little things sewn in on the side. But, you know, Electro the Ninth exists and is nominally a 2023 book. Nominally? Not sure it's going to be. Um, and I know that that will disappoint fans if that doesn't happen um, because, yeah. you know, they have been very patient and good at waiting. But at the same time, you know, it's a chunker, as the kids would say, it's a chunky <laughs> boy. Um, a chungus, I think, is the word, which is a lovely word I, I, I adore. <laughs> so you've got this chunky book. Uh, and you are saying, I mean, since you've written it, I mean, now there's edits and everything, so you have to live with it for another six months or something, I suppose. But there is... At least. Unlike George R. Martin and Song of Ice and Fire, there is clear air ahead. Is your brain beginning to sort of turn to new projects and sort of things you'd like to, to, to do next? Or is it still kind of, I need to just do this and there's this other thing that's happening and there's the rest of my life and I'll think about other things at another time? I've been thinking about other things I wanted to do ever since Harrow, to be honest. You know, I'm so excited to be trying other genres to yeah. be doing other things. Um, I think that the problem with my brain is that, in fact, it wants to be doing about six things at once and it wants to be doing very different things. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I I just can't wait to get to some 
you know, uh, probably soft. I don't think you'll ever catch me writing uh, hard sci-fi, but, you know, some soft sci-fi. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I've been planning a standalone book for a very long time um, that's my own stupid take on the Arthurian cycle. Okay, yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, just as you do. Um, as you do. Look, everyone does. I, I think that uh, everybody just wants to do their own Arthurian thing, right? It's sort <laughs> of like... Uh, it's the one thing your brain always goes back to. Everybody's got their own like secret Arthurian thing. Um, And I think that living in England has promoted that. Yeah. And do you feel like you would trilogy again, or do you feel like you're, you're chastened by by that at the moment, that it's too much of (laughs) a amount of time. I mean, even if you love, and I'm sure you, I mean, all joking aside, you must love the lock tomb universe, the characters, everything else. You've devoted so much time and energy and creativity to it. But there's also that thing where it's this chunk and you can only do this thing and that must be its own stress, its own pressure. I think for anybody who has debuted with a series that has been well-received, you know, I've got some incredible fans. I've been really lucky. You know, the truth is you don't want that to chase after you forever. And it's really important for me that I come out doing something totally different so that my name isn't coupled with the locked tomb forever. And, you know, if it is, gosh, you know, put it on my headstone. I've really loved doing the books. They're very important to me. But, boy, I want to try my hand to try to be successful at something else as well. Sure, sure. Well, let me ask you this. When this conversation is released to the world, we will be definitely moving towards the end of the year. We'll be well into the holiday season. Do you have a favorite holiday story or is there a book you revisit or a story you revisit at this time of year? You know, my problem is that I got my, I, I know that at this time of year, actually, for those of us uh, in the Antipodes, we're like, oh, yep, beach, jandals, mm-hmm. uh, you know, barbecue. Yeah. But, you know, the, the truth is that in my winter, which is England summer, very confusing, I already yep. got my snow story yep. and it's a magnificent snow story that now we're, that we're in the right time of year for it. I am just yep. going to like pass it on to everyone who hasn't read it yet. Yes. I don't know if you read it yourself. Emir by Rich Larson came out at about the midway point this year. Yep. I'm aware and of the book, yes. It is a very much a snow story. Took me an embarrassingly long time to realize that it's definitely got its roots in Beowulf, so it's that kind of snow story. Okay. And, you know, it's not exactly a Christmassy read because uh, <laughs> I am somebody who is very much into the uh, the video game of that year, Disco Elysium, mm-hmm. which is a detective procedural about one of the most drugged up men in the world, uh, Harry Dubois. And yeah. This was the first book I read that captured some of what made Disco Elysium so good. And Mm -hmm. it's a book that, you know, you just keep those books where you keep thinking about them weeks and weeks and weeks after they're done. Yeah. That was that for me. Um, It's a nasty story. It is a miserable, dystopian, uh, you know, sort of far future mining planet story. That's where the cold comes in. So it's not exactly holly jolly. But, you know, if you want your brain expanded forcibly over Christmas, I was saying mm-hmm. earlier, take more drugs, do more Dune. I cannot recommend it. <laughs> well, that sounds like a, a, a wonderful book to, to seek out at this time of the year. Uh, will it be a, well, I guess, it's gonna, I guess for you, unlike for me, it'll be a, 
uh, a, a traditional cold time of the year. You'll you'll have potentially snow and all that around you. That must be must be a bit of a kick for someone from the Antipodes to have the, I'm the, never the classic get used Christmas to it, experience. Ever. No. I, I- it's, you know, it's just a case where I think if you haven't grown up in the snow tradition, I grew up in the North Island of New Zealand. Sure, um, sure. We did not see one flake ever. Mm. You know, you go down to Mount Ruapehu as a kid and you're just like, what's all this white stuff? <laughs> and, I mean, the one reason why, you know, again, I say Amir is because, boy, it's depressing. It's yeah. dark. It's really bleak. I have understood seasonal affective disorder in a way I never have before. And I also mm-hmm. understand lights festivals now because if you don't have them, I think we'd all just start killing each other. It'd be like, you know, a kind of month-long purge. <laughs> and I think there's a there's a joy in embracing that in its own weird way. Yeah. And, you know, this is depressing. This sucks. You know, get me some sort of depressing Scandinavian literature. <laughs> yes. I shall sit here and I shall wallow in it. And it shall yes. be magnificent in its own way. Oh, you know, it's a type of year where you also read Miss Smeela's Feeling for Snow, you know? It, sure. It's, you, you bring the dark inside. Well, I hope that the end of your year is magnificent. Uh, but for the moment, Tamsin, Yora, thank you so much for making time to talk to us. We genuinely appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on. And if you can send me some of that sunshine and that, you know, uh, heat, that would be appreciated. We'll do our very best. Thank you.